Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. Today's sponsor is Alley Oop. We all know how important moms are for our kids, but did you know that one of the biggest influences on a girl's confidence and self-esteem is her dad? So if her dad says she's smart or fearless at sports or she can do anything she puts her mind to, she believes him, maybe more than her mom? I don't know. The praise and confidence a girl gets from her dad stays with her for life. There's a startup out of LA that is focused on just that. Started by a mom, it's called Alley Oop, and it provides a collection of fun challenges and activities that are specifically designed for a dad and daughter to do together as a team. There are no materials required, and you can access all the challenges virtually through the Alley Oop app, which you can download from the App Store. Just search for Alley Oop, A-L-L-E-Y-O-O-P. It's early access only right now, but if you use the code BOOKMOM, capital B for book, capital M for mom, BOOKMOM, all one word, upon sign-in, your favorite dads and daughters can check it out for free. Samantha Harvey is the author of four novels, The Wilderness, All is Song, Dear Thief, and The Western Wind, and she has written a memoir, which we'll talk about today, called The Shapeless Unease. Her novels have been shortlisted for the Orange Prize for Fiction, the Guardian First Book Award, the Walter Scott Prize, and the James Tate Black Prize, and longlisted for the Man Booker Prize, the Bailey's Prize, the Jerwood Fiction Uncovered Prize, and the HWA Gold Crown Award. The Wilderness was the winner of the AMI Literature Award and the Betty Trask Prize, and The Western Wind won the 2019 Staunch Book Prize. She lives in Bath in the UK and is a reader in creative writing at Bath Spa University. Welcome, Sam. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me here. I'm very honored. Oh, and you're in the UK now, is that right? Yep, yeah, I'm just outside Bath in the southwest of the UK. Interesting. We're doing this via Skype, and for people not watching, I feel like you have such a perfect British wallpaper behind you. You just It just looks like, and this like old bookcase, it's perfect. It's exactly how I would imagine <laughs> where you would be outside of Bath. <laughs> Actually, I have a house that's in desperate need of renovation, hence the old-fashioned wallpaper, but it does have a kind of charm about it. I, I don't, I know, I didn't mean it to suggest it was old-fashioned. <laughs> it was, it's super charming. It's fantastic. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about if you're sleeping any better these days, but I lo- loved your book. Can you please tell listeners, from your perspective, give them the little two-minute wrap-up of what your book is about, if you don't mind. Your most recent book. Okay, I'll try. Okay. So I, back in 2016, I quite abruptly stopped sleeping. I went from being a really good sleeper to just having very severe insomnia in, in a matter of weeks, pretty much. And I couldn't write, I'm a novelist, you know, but my, my career is, has been as a novelist. And I couldn't write another novel. I didn't really have an idea. And, and the more sleep deprived I got, the less bandwidth I had to sort of put together the architecture of a novel in my mind on the page. So I just started writing whatever came to me. I felt a really strong need to write because it's the thing that I do that anchors me and makes me feel quite grounded and and quite peaceful. Really. So I started to write without any idea of what I was writing. I certainly had no idea that I would be writing a book. I just wrote whatever came to me. And I, I sometimes wrote at night, but that was, that was quite rare. It was more in the day when I was very sleep deprived. And I would write 
whatever surface, I tried not to put too much design on that or influence it too much, just whatever came up. And what came up was all sorts of stuff, you know, fragments of memories and things from my own childhood, thoughts that I was having about the world. There's a sort of a kind of essay in there about a, a tribal people of the Brazilian Amazon. That a short story ended up being in there, sort of reflections on being wake and on insomnia itself. All kinds of things, you know, different types of writing in different registers, different tones. And in the end, it amassed to something that was roughly book length. <laughs> and my agent said, what have you been writing? And I said, you know, nothing. I can't write a novel. You know, I've just been writing while sleep deprived. And she said, well, let me see it. So I gave it to her and she gave it to my editor and, and they decided to publish it as a book. But it, I was, you know, more surprised than anyone that that was the outcome because that <laughs> hadn't at all been my intention. And actually, I've never written autobiographically before. So how do you feel now that this is out in the world? Are, do you feel sort of self-conscious that it's your innermost sort of stream of consciousness dialogue with yourself and now there it is? Or do you feel comfortable with it being out there? I think it's, it's a mix and it depends on the day. But obviously, once I knew it was going to be published and when I agreed to it being published, I had to reconcile myself to this to this knowledge that it would be exposing for me. And I kind of made peace with that. I thought, well, this is what I've written. I'm not ashamed of anything I've written. Obviously, I needed to write it for some reason. If my publisher thinks there's a readership for it and that might be interesting to other people, then so be it. I'm going to go with it. So most of the time, that's how I feel. There are days where, when I think, what have I done? <laughs> but on the whole, I, I feel, you know, I've reconciled myself to it and I feel like it's, it was a very honest, raw expression of where I was in my life. And I hope that some of that honesty and that rawness reaches people because it's honest and because it sort of connects to something in them. I loved that part about it. I loved the stream of consciousness. I loved how you experimented, as you said, with all the different forms, how some of it seemed like you were talking to a doctor, having you know a diagnosis of yourself in a situation, and then the next would be, it's almost like a script, and then a letter. Like you just were all, it was so great. And then little snippets of diary entries almost. For someone who reads a lot of books, it was such a nice change because you were constantly keeping the reader engaged and shifting gears and sort of in the chaos of what it feels like to not get a lot of sleep, which everybody has felt at one time or another. So it was almost like your form, the form you took, the form you used reflected so well the experience you were actually going through. So, which I'm sure was your intention in some way, subconsciously or something, but. (laughs) Subconsciously, yeah, I think it was. And I I think I sort of see it now as a kind of simulation of of sleep deprivation. It's not so much about being sleep deprived, but it is sort of a written simulation of what that's like. And that wasn't ever my intention, but I think that was just the kind of inevitable outcome of writing from that place. I think that's what my outbox looks like. All my emails are an example of sleep deprivation writing at work. (laughs) (laughs) Except mine's not going to be a book. It's just how I get through life. But, you know, one of the things you mentioned in your book that sort of set off, perhaps you thought this year of not sleeping very well, was the death suddenly of your cousin, which I'm so sorry about. And 
the fact that not only did he die suddenly, but it it took some time for him to be discovered as such. Can you talk a little about that? And if you think, looking back, that that did have a fair bit to do with what ended up happening to you as a response? Yeah, I so I started to get insomnia in the autumn of, of 2016. And at the same time, so it coincided with that, that my, that my cousin died and very suddenly he was epileptic and he died of an epileptic fit. And as you say, he wasn't discovered until a few days later. And I don't know how much of a causal relation there is between the two things, my insomnia and that death. That was one of quite a few things that were going on at the time in my own life that were quite problematic. No, not not huge things, but but things that were, were troubling. And I don't know if if the relationship between the two is causal, if it was more just a correlation that they kind of happened at the same time. So they became very much bound up in one another. So I, I because I was awake a lot, I began to think a lot about my cousin and I was very troubled by the fact that he had died and that we, you know, we would, he was a contemporary, you know, as I wasn't that close to him, but in, in a way we, we'd been close as children, but not as adults. There was just something about the loss of someone who was my own age and, and from my own childhood and, and the fact that he died so suddenly. And I just became very troubled by it because I was awake so much. So I was thinking about things too much. And this is, you know, one of the real problems with, with insomnia that not only are you awake, you're also, you know, it gives you so many more hours in the day to, to think about things and to brood over things and to worry. So I think the two things just became very bound up in one another, more than it being a causal thing. And you also started going back to an incident that happened way back in your past when you were randomly attacked, which I was, and it came pretty far into the book where you started thinking about this again. And perhaps that's where it was like in your consciousness of coming back to it. But tell me about that because that sounded horrific to me. And you were somewhat not, I wouldn't say blasé, but you were somewhat matter of fact about it and just sort of presented it as if it was another thing that had happened as opposed to something that was a central thing in your life. Can you just talk a little about the effect it had and did you and how you handled it then versus how you handle it now? You know, it's a really interesting thing because I, I you know, I have not had a, a terrible life by any stretch. It's been, you know, it's had its troubles, but it's been a, a blessed life as well. So maybe that's, I don't know. I when I when I started writing, inevitably all of this stuff came up that was was part of the trouble of of life, and I, and that was one of the one of the things that came up and I was quite interested that it, it came up really because I was digging around searching for things that might be the cause of my insomnia and whenever the relationship I have now to that attack is a really strange one because I don't feel that I have any trauma from it you know at the time it was a really it was quite a distressing and, and brutal thing you know and I was I ended up in hospital for a few days and I you know I still don't I, I have you know metal skeleton in my hand where it was broken and you know so I, I do have it's, it's obviously made an impact on my life but one of the things that has always been strange to me is that it hasn't had as much of an impact as I would have thought and so I've always wondered is that because I, I really did at the time 
sort of face it and, and to go through what I had to go through in it? Or is it because I've suppressed something? Am I failing to deal with it? And, you know, could that be, could that sort of residual trauma be something that is feeding my insomnia now? And so that's why it, it made its way into the book, because it was one of those things that I was digging out of, you know, out of the suitcase, thinking, could this be it? Could this be the thing that that's stopping me sleeping? And, and it's never felt that it, I've never felt that it was. And I don't know why I feel so little trauma around it. I haven't really worked that out. And I, I had to, I had to identify the the man who, who did it and he went to prison. And I think maybe because there was that sort of closure on it. Yeah, but even then I, even then I felt quite ambivalent about that process, about him going to prison. There was, there was something about it that, that I, I really just could never quite get to grips with. So it's left me with this big sort of question mark in my life of, of how affected am I by this? Am I really as unaffected as I, as I feel I am? <laughs> it probably sounds like a strange answer, but it's always had this very strange place in my life. Interesting. I feel like that would be a good book in and of itself. Maybe you should turn that into fiction. Well, I, I did. It's actually what started my, my writing career, funnily enough, because I... I had been living in in Japan for a couple of years and I was writing, uh, I started writing while I was there. And then I went to Australia when I left Japan before I went home. I just went for three weeks and that's where it happened. So when I got home, I couldn't go find work because I had two broken hands and head injuries. And so I started writing a novel and that novel was never published, but I did finish it. And and once I'd written that novel, I realised that's, what I wanted to do with my life. It was a very clear thing. And that novel was a fictionalized version of that attack and, and a sort of fictionalized account of all the things that had led up to it. So it's actually had an incredibly impactful place in my life. And maybe that's because I worked it out through fiction that it that it now hasn't sort of, doesn't have these sort of traumatic reverberations. Maybe, I don't know. Hmm. Well, I think you should dig that one out of the closet and go back <laughs> go back to that one in your spare time in the middle of the night, you know, next time. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to read a couple of the the sentences and the way you wrote about writing, because I loved how you wrote about it. You said, I look at what I write and it's like being introduced to my soul every time for the first time, not always liking what I see. Writing is dreaming. Not all dreams can be interpreted, and anyway, not all interpretations are right, and anyway, not all interpretations are interesting, and anyway, the dream is the thing unto itself. Writing is dreaming. I only discovered that a couple of years ago. It is lucid dreaming, the work of the subconscious that has a toe in the conscious just enough. And then finally you said, writing has saved my life. In the last year, writing has been the next best thing to sleep, sometimes a better thing than sleep. I am sane when I write, my nerves settle. I am sane, sane. I become happy. Nothing else matters when I write, even if what I write turns out to be bad. And that's it. Well, that's that, that's most of what I wanted to read, <laughs> which is beautiful and such a great reflection on on how writing can help and how writing interacts with the brain. I mean, it's such a unique thing, really, how writing even works. Can you talk about that just for a minute? <laughs> how writing works. Well, just, yeah. you know, it's <laughs> writing as dreaming, because I hear that quite a bit sometimes. How do you come up with ideas? I don't know. How do I, you know, some writers say it's like a dream. How do you come up with a dream? It just happens. So, Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it feels that it's the same. When you can let go and start writing instinctively, and I think that happens when you get past the phase of wanting to understand what the, the rules are for writing, you know, and, and what the remit is and what you're allowed to do, what you're not, what works, what doesn't. You have to kind of go through that phase as a writer, I think. It's part of the learning. But when you come through that, and that's not to say you have nothing left to learn, but you, you've absorbed and internalised enough, you can start getting to something really instinctive. And that's where I think writing becomes more like dreaming than, than like a, a sort of a, a technical craft, because it's really, it's always calling on the subconscious and, and coming from the subconscious. And the, the less you get in the way of it, the more you find that to be true. And so the things that end up on the page, you know, you, you may have gone to great lengths to create a fictional world and a character who is adamantly not yourself. But in the end, what you have on the page is your own life, your own preoccupations, your own self in all sorts of guises and disguises in the way that you do in a dream. You know, you find when you, if you remember a dream and you look at it and you see it's just all of your desires and fears all dressed up in different costumes and it's just the same as writing and I find that really fascinating and I think that maybe one reason that writing has been such a salvation to me through insomnia is because when you're not sleeping, you're not dreaming. So all the working out that you do through dreams isn't happening. So I think I did that working out through writing. So it was a sort of a surrogate way of dreaming. And I hadn't really realized that at the time, it only occurred to me a few months ago. And I thought, yeah, I can see why that was such a necessary thing for me to do because I didn't have any other way of processing my subconscious hmm. so it, it really it was a, an incredibly powerful realization and and it's you know this this book if nothing else has absolutely restored my faith in writing which was flagging a little bit <laughs> it must have been thoughts of you know what's the point of writing you know novels and you know the, the world is going to hell what's the point and and I now think that sort of answered that question for me good how are you sleeping now? Better than I was when I wrote the book, but still, I'm still definitely an insomniac and I, and I don't know how to resolve that. You know, I, I think the, the thing that whatever the triggers were that instigated it ha have gone to an extent, you know, but it's now being fueled by its own internal processes as insomnia is, you know, the triggers might go away, but you're left with this kind of really intractable habit of body and mind and, and I'm I'm struggling to to break that. So it's still an ongoing struggle, but it's not anything like as severe as it was. Oh good. Well I'm glad at least it's getting better. <laughs> Although I don't know. I mean another book like this would be great too. <laughs> are you are you working on another book now or I am just beginning to research a, a new novel. You know it's been three years nearly since I since I finished my last novel and that's you know I've never had a, a gap of anything like that length between novels before so it's been a really big absence in my life so I, I wrote The Shape of Unease in in between but in terms of a novel and that that kind of world 
building of a novel and, and the research and this entirely absorbing, lengthy process of it, that's been absent and that's a really, a really strange thing for me. So I am now beginning to research. I haven't started writing it, but I'm researching something new and I feel kind of excited by it at the moment. So that's good. That's good. <laughs> I feel like I do have most days the capacity to write it. So yes, but it's been a very long process to get here. Very strange, you know, very strange one of, I've always had an idea for a novel queued up before I finished the last. So to have had no idea for three years has been really unnerving. That's nice to know they came back. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just a necessary part of the process. I feel like you've given so much advice through your your vantage point on writing, but if you had to give one piece of advice to somebody who is trying to struggle through writing (laughs) or attack a new book or anything, what advice would you give? This is such a difficult question. You don't have to answer it. I'll do my best. Okay. (laughs) I think that writing, this is going to sound like incredibly nebulous, abstract answer, but I think that writing is a sort of expression of, of love in a way. It's a very expansive thing to do. It asks a lot of you. It asks you to open your heart. And I think if, you, if you're if you going to write a novel or anything, write it from that kind of expanded, generous place in yourself. And you can sort of feel for that. And, and write for no other reason, because, you know, I, and I, I think this for myself, and it's why my faith was flagging a bit, you know, the world doesn't need another novel. There are so many novels in the world, but that's not to say that if you write something that's that's absolutely from the heart and feels like it needs to be written, there will be a place for it in the world. So I think that's the only reason to write and it's the only place to write from. In any case, that's how it is for me. That's great advice. See, you did great. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> it doesn't feel that practical somehow. But it still helps. It all helps. It, it all <laughs> helps. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And thank you for sharing your experience, not just with me today, but also through your book. I'm glad it didn't just stay, you know, in a journal on your desk or whatever, and that it became something that the world could share because I found it very helpful and interesting and thought-provoking and different and and a joy to read. So thank you. Thank you, Sophie. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks to today's sponsor, Ali Oop, A-L-L-E-Y dash O-O-P. Check it out at the App Store and start bonding with dads and daughters right away for free with code BOOKMOM, B-O-O-K capital B-M-O-M capital M, if that makes sense, BOOKMOM. <laughs> Thanks for checking it out. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.